Good day, everyone, and welcome to the newest episode of Tilt at Windmills. Um, my name is Mike Donahue, and today I am going to be talking about the subject du jour, which is Brett Kavanaugh, and I'm joined today by Stacy Sena. Hi, Stacy. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Just okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay's good. <laughs> so, if, in case you can't tell by her qualifying her answers, uh, Stacy is a criminal defense lawyer um, and mother of two, three, three. Oh my gosh, they keep coming. Yeah, and that happens uh, when you have twins. <laughs> and a marathoner, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, pretty well-rounded person, but you do specialize in criminal defense law. You have your own firm, right? I do. I practice in Orange County, California, and the majority of my practice is criminal defense. Nice. Nice. Okay. Um, so the, the we normally start these off, like we're going to talk about some heavy stuff today. Um, the word rape is probably going to be mentioned, um, and that's just sort of depressing. But we like to start this off kind of light, and and I will start this by asking you, Stacey, do you have any forms of entertainment you'd like to recommend to our dear listeners uh, in terms of TV or books or anything, really? Forms of entertainment. Well, as you know, I recently went off of Facebook after um, a, a decade-long addiction um, and seemed to have uh, transferred that into Pinterest which uh, is leading to some rather healthy behaviors. I'm, I'm um, uh, completely vegan now and get vegan recipes uh, daily um, uh, and get, get painting ideas and craft ideas and more well-rounded interests from, uh, from Pinterest. Um, I don't really watch TV, although I'll tell you, I have a friend who asked me to start watching Game of Thrones with her recently. Yeah. And as of last night, I just finished season one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so wow, wow, I get that. Yeah. I get okay. that. I, I get the uh, the frenzy now. I certainly okay. understand it. Um, and I actually just had a book club this week that I put together uh, with a few friends to read the Dalai Lama's The Art of Happiness. Oh. And uh, I'm and waiting that went... for the movie. <laughs> Yeah, that that may not happen, um, but that the the art of happiness. The author who wrote it with the Dalai Lama actually referred to the book that I've been listening to while I drive, which is Viktor Frankl's *Man's Search for Meaning*. Um, and and both of those are about basically finding happiness within inner peace, how to achieve inner peace. Viktor Frankl was. Uh, um, a psychiatrist who, a Jewish psychiatrist, of course, who was um, held in a concentration camp for three years. And when he left the concentration camp, he wrote about how one could find meaning and and even happiness under the most adverse of conditions, um, which is sort of similar to the Buddhist notions that the, the Dalai Lama refers to in the art of happiness, which is that the happiness is... Um, uh, an inner mental pursuit, not one that's that's typically fulfilled by material items, much as uh, we may be conditioned to believe they are. So, Stacy, and this is not your fault, but every time I have this little segment to try and get a little bit of fluff into my episodes, mm-hmm. 
it always comes back to things like the meaning of life, uh, how to find happiness, and the Holocaust, and or autism. That's interesting. Well, and I'm know. just, it's just, I just, and, and that's, just for, and that might be a sign of our times. Uh, like, that just might be where we're at right now. Uh, I, I'm curious that you're telling me that other people are having these same sort of intellectual pursuits right now. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think. I think. Yeah. I think there's a shift on, and I think it's it's manifesting itself in a bunch of different ways, and and I don't know if it's everything just seems heavier or feels heavier, um, or people are everything is definitely heavier. I was talking with um, an interpreter in court yesterday who is 79 years old, uh, was born in a foreign country, lived in other countries for most of her life, and she was comparing what we're going through right now in America to Nazi Germany and saying that she's never seen anything like this before. And I was telling her about the two books that I'm engrossed in on how my only alternative was to try to find inner peace to deal with this. So um, I'm, I'm really fascinated by the fact that you've got other guests who might have come to the same conclusion. And, and maybe that's just where you arrive out of a place of relative powerlessness, you know, when you're watching your country and its ideals sort of crumble around you, um, and 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 you have to keep your sanity. Yeah, you're. I mean, I'm, so I'm depressed just listening. If you want lightness, <laughs> I just. I guess I'm, I just want someone to say, "Oh yeah, the new Avengers movie was so great." <laughs> or something, you know. So Game of Thrones. To see again, not the cheeriest show. Uh and and I really um I really kind of envy you because every other Games of Thrones watcher has had to sit waiting week by week by week and then sometimes a year in between seasons. Um Yeah. And, yeah, no, I, I can do I do four episodes at a time. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty great. Yeah. Okay. All right. Enough. Enough with the. Maybe I have to redefine lightness. Um, you know what, though, you you ask a really good question because I'm trying to think where does lightness come from right now in my life? When do we laugh? And looking back over the last week, I've had two book clubs with different groups of friends that I've been at, and we've laughed at those. Um, although I will tell you, some of that laughter comes from poking fun at the horrible conditions that we're in right now. So again, it, it is what we make it. Um, I think there's no denying among liberals and people who have their eyes opened and people who are concerned that this is this is a dark era, and many of us are seeing things we hoped we would never see. Um, and and we're getting through in the best way that we can. Yeah. Well, two more months. Two more months. <laughs> That's optimistic. I'll trust you on that. So uh, let's let's get um, to the hot topic, and it, it really is a hot topic. Um, and, yeah. and talking about Judge Kavanaugh, and I thought I was really excited um, to get you on the cast because I thought, you know, if anybody's going to have a, some insight into, you know, judgeship or or you know the law and and all the ramifications um, that are sort of going into this stew of public opinion. Um, you know, that, that you would be that, that one. So mm -hmm. 
and, and I and I want to just sort of relay, I think, what I've I've been hearing and sort of feeling out on the mean streets of Orange County. And and I think in general, there's there's an there's a there's a feminine energy, and I've been saying this for a while, there's a feminine energy to the activism on the left. Um, and I think um, there's there's a level of anger um, and, a, and a level of wanting to fight much more than has been apparent uh, or has been traditionally associated with liberals uh, in the past. And, and I think we're seeing it in the Me Too movement and... I think we're seeing it, especially with the Kavanaugh thing. Um, I've had a number of individuals um, say to me that that Kavanaugh needs to be disqualified right now. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. no investigation, no "quote unquote" due process. He's he's been accused. He needs to he needs to step down. He needs to recuse himself. And um, I I as a I mean I would like to think that. It, um, I mean, I'm trying to be understanding to to the woman's perspective and and how you guys have been on the shit end of the stick for so long, and and this this anger of guys like this doing stuff like this and getting away with it and having other men just kind of wink, wink wink nod nod at them, but that's counterbalanced by my desire that hey, we live in a society where an accusation is not guilt. You, you know, so what, what are your thoughts? Well, the two are not an opposite, right? I mean, it, it, there's simply no reason whatsoever why there can't be a thorough and fair investigation and appropriate consequences if the, if the evidence holds up. And, and that's what we would all hope for. But, but you, I don't think, uh, well, I, I haven't heard anyone that just wants to hang the guy on on the mere accusation alone. Although I will tell you, I think there are enough women out there who have been through similar incidents or around this kind of conduct that sort of believe intuitively that this did happen. Um, but, but even knowing that, I think the feminine energy on the left that you refer to and that I would definitely agree with uh, as sort of being the, the strongest force towards uh, sanity in our political system today um, really just wants a fair and thorough investigation and more importantly, perhaps consequences, Mm. because I think, I believe that most people believe Adita Hill's testimony. Mm -hmm. And I think that those male senators who took her testimony believed her as well. Um, but there were no consequences and, the result is that men can get away with these things unless there's a criminal conviction. You know, once that criminal conviction is in place, then all kinds of consequences arise. But statistics show that that most sexual batteries and most sexual crimes not only go unreported, but unconvicted as well. Right, because it's it's without tangible evidence, right? It's It's hard to carry that burden of proof. It's he said, she said. It's he said, she said, but it's also re-victimization during the reporting process and the prosecution itself. And is that, but is that re-victimization different than any other violent crime? It is. It's more personal. Okay. Um, it's embarrassing. There's an element of shame and blame mm. 
that that's not associated with other crimes. Mm. So, so I was around, and I actually was sort of semi interested uh, in in the Anita Hill hearings back then. And I, I think back then there were sort of these these sort of we're old, Mike. Old. <laughs> I, uh, I, we're old. Sorry. We're old enough to remember. Ah, back in my day. Uh, yeah. There were there were at the time I remember thinking there were two two barriers that she had to pass, and the first barrier was do we believe her or not. And and you're right. Like I found her credible. Um, you know, I don't know if you saw the Maddow show last night, but she was showing some audio clips of of Hill's testimony, and it was like, oh, yeah, okay. And but then the second barrier, and this is where you get into the sort of the more subjective thing, was, um, okay, yeah. So he made a couple of crude jokes, like we're all grown ups here, just kind of deal with it. And I think very much at the time the male perspective um, was, okay, yeah, like, so what? Like, you're not, you're going to tell this guy he can't be a Supreme Court justice because he made a joke about pubes on a Coke can or something, even though that was not the limit, or she, he did much more and said much more to her. Um, but, but I think that was the hurdle, and, and that hurdle was never going to be jumped. But I think today we're in a very different situation. Well, I, I will add just as an interesting side note, um, because we were talking about being around for this then. I think I was about 19, 20 years old and uh, was towards the end of college for me when those hearings were going on. I was working at a mortgage company that did telemarketing. And I had um, a boss who was putting me through something very, very similar to what she was going through. Um, the constant sexual joking, telling me to do things that were sexually provocative. For example, he wanted me to, uh, for his initials, he wanted me to write large enormous instead of his name. Um, you know, little things like that. And I really wasn't that much more than just a kid. And it was traumatic for me. And um, I made a call to human resources who said they would look into it. And then they came out about a month later and right in front of him, got the two of us together and asked me, is everything okay? Yeah. Um, which is not the way to deal with this. And, you know, I was under pressure and embarrassed and said, yeah, yeah, I can't believe I even reported that. I shouldn't have said anything. So in the last 25 years, I think our approach to dealing with it has improved significantly. I don't think you would see a human resources officer treat the matter that way these days. I mean, you know, confronting someone in front of the person who's doing the harassment, I think they would take the matter much more seriously. But again, I don't know that the consequences have been all that different until the last couple of months when, you know, no significant people have lost their jobs be, because of this sort of harassment. I mean, Judge Kaczynski, Alan Kaczynski from the, um, Alex Kaczynski from the Ninth Circuit, uh, notably had to step down recently because of uh, uh, long-term uh, sexual abuse allegations or sexual harassment allegations. Um, but Kavanaugh's situation is different from the ones that we've been seeing in the media for one very, very important reason. And that is that, that this is a forcible, forcible sexual mm -hmm. act. 
this isn't harassment. This isn't Al Franken putting his hands on someone else's breast. This is something that could be charged today as attempted murder. If Oh, because there's no, is there no statute of limitations on attempted murder? No, I didn't oh. mean that. I mean, if you, if you had that child, if you had this 15 year old coming forward and saying this happened to me yesterday right. on the facts that she has given, I can see a prosecutor charging that perpetrator. Yeah, it's a criminal. It's from her description. It's a criminal act. It's not only a criminal act. It is one of the most serious criminal acts there are. He cut off the airwaves. She could not breathe. She was afraid she was going to die. Okay. Attempt. He could be charged with attempted murder. Now, whether he'd be convicted of that is another issue. But you're talking about, you know, the most serious charges that we face. If there was a point, any point in that situation where she lost consciousness, um, that would be considered great bodily injury, uh, which is a strike felony. So you've got some significant force and violence elements coupled with the sexual act. And that really sets this apart from most of these other stories that that we've been hearing about over the last few months. But you, you to, to, to digress or to, to tangent off just a little bit, if, if, if she did come forward, if this was a contemporary uh, incident yeah. and there was no physical proof, they were at the party. All, all we know is that they were both at the party and, and he admitted that he had been drinking. Um, well, he's denying being at the party. Okay, but but still, it, yeah. that that same crime is there enough? Is yeah. there absolutely. to to press charges? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. And and let me tell you the way that these things are typically done. Um, usually, when somebody reports something like this, the police will do, and this uh, is true whether we're dealing with a minor or an adult whether a minor offender or an adult offender and whether a minor victim or an adult victim, when you basically have a sexual situation and it's a, he said, she said, what happens is that, that the victim will report the matter to the police and the police will do often some sort of pretextual phone call, which means they'll, the wire or bug the victim and have them call the guy or text and say, Hey, I want to talk about what happened. I'm, I'm really hurt by it. And often, as you can imagine, what happens is the person says, I'm sorry. And then there you go. That's treated as... So how how long have you been doing criminal law? I've been practicing since 1997. I started at the Public Defender's Office in 2000. So what is that? So how have you seen the system? Because I'll just call it the, the system as an amorphous object. How have you seen the system handle these cases? Have you has there been a change since? I'm assuming there's been a change since '97 that things have gotten quote unquote. Okay, well, it's interesting that you ask that because oddly enough, the biggest change that we have seen here in Orange County is um, a, sort of a more a, a greater return to sanity, if you will, in domestic violence offenses. Um, I would say in, in, in sexual crimes, I think those are still treated pretty seriously. Domestic violence is, of course, treated seriously. But here in Orange County, when I began in uh, 2000, probably until about 2007, 2008, domestic violence laws or just the, the, the treatment as far as things like temporary restraining orders, criminal protective orders, classes, probation violations, was so draconian because as if you remember, Nicole Brown Simpson 
came out of Orange mm-hmm. County and the domestic violence case that she and O.J. Simpson had were in Orange County. So post O.J. Simpson, domestic violence in Orange County was probably one of the worst things that you could be charged with in terms of treatment from anyone anywhere. Um, I had cases in those early days. I had one case where a woman was in therapy and found out her husband had been cheating on her. And in her anger, she took her chewing gum out of her mouth and stuck it on his forehead. Well, the therapist being a mandated reporter called the police and she was arrested and um, a restraining order was issued. And when I heard about this in court, at that time, she'd been separated for her chi- from her children because of the restraining order for two mm-hmm. months without an attorney. Um, and I couldn't believe it. I stepped in and negotiated a resolution right there just, you know, with the district attorney to get it taken care of. But putting chewing gum on the forehead of somebody who uh, had been having an affair and essentially sort of broke down the family unit because of that resulted in this mass devastation um, and, and you know, all of those defense attorneys have got numbers of cases like that, you know, where people just have completely overreacted um, right. uh, because of the way the laws were written and the treatment that was established post O.J. Simpson. But I will say that now things have returned to a much more sane environment. And that if there's one shift in the last two decades that I've seen in criminal justice, it's that. In California, also, the, the pendulum is starting to swing back towards a more sane approach. Um, I, don't know if we, I don't know if you remember in the mid-90s, there was the Polly Klaus incident up in Petaluma. I was in law school up in the Bay Area, and, and it, was, it was a huge deal. It was on the news every night, and it's what um, really spurred the three strikes mm-hmm. and you're out. Mm-hmm movement and then law here in and we had that swing and with and we had super high rates of incarceration and and mandatory for ridiculous offenses right and so in recent years the last five years in particular we've seen the pendulum starting to swing back um in 2012 we had prop 36 which um allowed some reprieve for those third strikers who had stolen cookies for example or minimal amounts you know, a theft, which resulted in life sentences, those, those should be um, all taken care of now. Do you, because you think, because you've been a a defense lawyer for, for 20 plus years, do you find yourself um, in a, when, when confronted with sort of a neutral pick this side or that side, you tend to, to instinctively side with the the person on the defensive? Have have you ever? No. no? Okay. (laughs) Um. I, I think uh, Donald Trump, Paul Manafort, Michael Flynn at all um, <laughs> proves that that's not the case. Um, I uh, have been eagerly awaiting their prosecution. Right. Okay. No, I was just, I was just curiously, if, if, psycho- if psychologically, if, if that starts getting embedded in, in, in a persona, but um, to take, to take it back to Kavanaugh. So from what I'm gathering, you are not uh, of the position where you feel that the mere accusation or the accusation in itself disqualifies him for his seat. Never, never. And and we don't want a system like that. We don't, I mean, talk about a witch hunt. Um, absolutely not. Uh, I mean, if that's the case, how could you have a fair confirmation proceeding at any time in, in history? You know, there could be false allegations brought against each and every candidate. 
So absolutely not. But I think there should be an independent investigation, not a simple Senate questioning, which is going to which what's going to happen on Monday and uh, will no doubt prove to be a right. circus. I don't know if you've watched many of these I have. Um, Senate hearings. Yeah, you know, they they are frustrating for me as a viewer because they're not fact-finding investigations. They are statements by the individual senators designed to um, really well, promote their positions and have the candidate agree with at them. The, at the risk of sounding um, really biased, I, 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 uh, I think on, on most of the Democratic ones, not all, but I think on a lot of the Democratic ones, there were questions pertaining to his stance on certain laws or asking him to clarify um, prior rulings um, that he had made, and he just completely um, nebbed out, or whatever you want to. What, yeah, well, he yeah he shut them yeah. down and, and sort of. Uh, uh, I don't have to answer that. I'm a yeah. sure thing. Anything. Anyway, and then on the right. Republican side, it was just yeah. you know, are you a good dad? Do you know? Do you coach your girls' basketball oh, yeah. team? You know. <laughs> How'd you do? Yeah, in high school? basically. So, so. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Okay. Um, so you, so you would be in favor of, and, and then, so I guess let's, let's then say that, that something did happen, that she's, that she is a, a credible witness and his, his friend who was in the room has supposedly come out and said it didn't happen. It just nothing, nothing like that happened. Mm-hmm. Or that he or, didn't Right. Say something, something, some sort of blanket, um, off the cuff now. Because most people don't sexually assault or rape others in front of someone. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so, but either way, let's, let's say that, that something, did, that something did happen. Mm-hmm. What, what, um, is there any mitigation in the fact that he was a drunk 17 year old and that it no. was 36 years ago? No, okay. no, not not for not for this type of offense, and I'll tell you why. Because if he were con- tried, if he were convicted of this when he was 17 years old, he would have faced lifelong consequences. He may not have been able to become uh, barred. He may not have been able to get a law license in the state that he first applied. Um, he certainly would not have been appointed to the judiciary. Um, at, at any stage. And under no circumstances should a judge be treated differently or more favorably than those upon wh- whom he's, he's imposing sentences. Mm. So no, there's no mitigation here because he, he's the same person who would be passing these very harsh sentences on others, you know, who have been accused and then committed the same crime. So you're, 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 are you saying it, that it, it disqualifies him in as much as he may, he may judge differently be, because he's guilty of that, that act? Or are you just saying that just in general, he's not a good person? I think there's a fundamental unfairness to having someone who has gotten away with a crime, if in fact that's what happened, pass judgment on those who've not. Okay. Okay. And when we're talking about who it is that we want passing these laws, creating these laws and upholding these laws, fairness is um, 
probably the most important issue uh, that we have. So, so let me ask it a different way. And I'm not like, trust me, I'm, I'm really, my, I get yelled at for defending Kavanaugh. And I'm not really trying to defend him as much as I am, I think, our, our institutions of, um, of fairness or what I perceive to be fair, fairness. Um, if, if this had happened, and what was, what was it 36 years ago? So this was uh, 92 or something like that. Um, no, 82. 82, sorry, 82, right? my math, I was not a math major. Um, yeah. If that had happened in 82 and she had gone to the police the next day or a week later, what, what would have been the likelihood from what you know of the the, the time and the judicial system and, and the culture at that time, what probably would have happened to him? Cause my guess, my uneducated layman's guess is not a darn thing. It would have. Yeah. Well, it's uh, yeah. It, you know, it's state specific. Um, and I'm not sure what state this was supposed to have happened in, but I can tell you in California today, if this allegation were made, um, like I said before, I, I think there'd be a potential attempted murder right. charge because the airway was cut off and she said she was afraid that she was going to die because she couldn't breathe. Um, and, but in California um, in 82, you know, it's, it's hard to say because it's a, it's a matter of prosecutorial discretion, but I have seen convictions from the seventies on similar facts with, with no more evidence than this. Okay. Okay. So it's not, it's not as black and white in my mind where he probably would have, no. would have walked there. There's still a chance he could have been prosecuted back then. Cause I guess no, I was, and, go ahead. And I have to tell you that the, the, the biggest way that in sex cases that, prosecutors get convictions, oddly enough, is by a defendant's own words. So even if there was no pretextual phone call, if the police interviewed him, he chances are would have tried to say something about how it was consensual. Mm -hmm. They would have gotten some of those words out. And inevitably, those words would have been used against him. But if you're a woman today, and you're thinking about those days, what do you do you really think the likelihood is high that the police would have like taken it to that or or would have they just said it's he said she said and just I, dropped it I, you know it, it, it depends on probably the district attorney's office that would have received the complaint um like i said i have seen complaints from the 70s i was in a sexually violent predator trial recently um where people were convicted on even flimsier evidence um, ones where, you know, a defend or a victim had some very serious mental issues who, who was making the allegations. Um, but there was a conviction nonetheless. Um, I, no, I, I don't want to give the impression that sexual prosecutions are a new phenomenon that that simply is not the case. What is new is our tendency as women to come forward and say, this happened to me too. Mm. Yeah. Which is tough, which is, and, and I think men, I think we downplay it a bit. We, we can't, it's, it's hard for us to imagine it, right? It's, it's hard for us to say, and, and on a surface level, it's like, you did nothing wrong. 
you are not at fault. It doesn't like, you know, it doesn't matter that you were wearing a short skirt. It doesn't matter you were a bar. It doesn't matter that you were drinking. Like from, and I, I understand clinically and the psychology that says all the things that you said at the beginning where there's guilt and there's shame, you know, and embarrassment. And I think the reason, I think one of the reasons that guys have a hard time uh, with that is that like we can hear those words and we can hear that, but it's, it's, um, I don't know. There's, there's, um, you know, we, we call the women brave who, who come forward. And I've been guilty of this thought myself. And, and my thought when I hear about, you know, the 15 or 20 or 30 women coming forward is, and, and people say they're, they're brave. I feel that the brave one was the first one. The first, the first one to come forward was brave. Um, mm-hmm. And and the rest of them, I think, a little less so. And I think that's a that's probably an unpopular um, opinion. But when you talk about heroes or or you know the ones that are really stepping forward, those are sort of the ones who who break that that cone of of silence. Well, I mean, that's that's sort of saying that you know the first person onto the battlefield who was killed was the brave one, and uh, you know the other ones less so. I think a key component of this that's really missing in the national dialogue is um, the age of victims to whom this sort of thing typically happens. And I'm saying this just as a matter of my own experience talking with women, having seen these sorts of incidents in my life. You know, I was in court when a lot of this first started happening and and many of us had a good laugh over how it's nice to be 45 um, (laughs) because you just don't get sexually assaulted anymore. Um, You know, the, the, the rude comments, the inappropriate touching, the sort of scary behavior. I think if you were to actually take a look at the behavior statistically, you would see that the victims really are for the most part between the ages of maybe 10 to 20. Mm. In talking with my friends, most of us who have had these experiences had them as young women, very young women. And so there's a whole other layer of fear and inexperience that's not really appropriately being addressed. As a child, it's much easier to remain quiet about such things. Um, And so one of the things we need to do as mothers as women, is teach our children, boys and girls, that people are not allowed to say things inappropriately to you. People are not allowed to touch you inappropriately. If you're uncomfortable, don't fear making the other person uncomfortable by saying, I want to leave. It's not your duty as a child to make adults comfortable you know, all of that. Those are conversations that each and every one of us as parents have to have with our own kids. And it's something that that we all need to be um, aware of when we're with children, frankly. Mm. Hmm. And by children, I mean young adults as well. Right. You know, that, that includes college-age children. You know, Sunyi Previn, Woody Allen's uh, uh, wife, was in the news this morning for giving an interview in which she talked about how uh, he kissed her when she was 21 and that sparked their relationship, which ended up in this marriage and how that's, you know, qualitatively different from child molestation. I think there are a lot of people who would say, you know, even at 21 years old with a father figure, that's not qualitatively different than child molestation. So, you know, those sorts of conversations are ones that we have yet to have. 
Well, and <laughs> one of the reasons is because that's a very complex discussion. And we're not, I don't think we're good as Americans culturally having hard discussions about things. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. You know, we, we tend to like our things simple. Um, sound bites. Good guys, bad guys, sound bites. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, dislike. Um, mm-hmm. let's, let, so let's talk about the, the statute of limitations. Uh, Oy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's not an easy topic. No, it's not. And, and I get, I, again, this is some, this is maybe a place, um, and, and you're dying on the battlefield comment made, made sense to me. And I, I think I'm wrong. I think I was wrong on, on the stance that I had there, but I think, you know, I see the statute of limitations over in the UK and it makes me sort of, of, I don't know, I don't know if mad's the right word, but you have these. What is, well, I'm not familiar with the UK's statute. I, I think it's, it's pretty much wide open. It, it, there's no statute on a bunch of crimes that, that are below murder, uh, including uh, uh, rape or sexual assault. Um, and I get, I get, and I'm, I think I'm so ingrained in our system and where it's, it's murder, it's murder is it, and you'll never get away. You'll never escape law if it's murder, but for everything else, we have the statute of limitations and they're usually in my head that that's always been for a really good reason. Um, you know, time, we know that time changes things. Um, and, and I think, I think there's a a little bit of a, a movement afoot about maybe revising the statute of limitations for these abuse cases. There's a lot of anger, I think. Well, that's been a foot. That's, that's been a fit, a foot for the last 20, 30 years. Um, but more so, I think, since the Me Too movement, because there's this, there's this anger that, oh, yes, he did that, and we all know he did that, but because he did it seven and a half years ago, he's not going to get in trouble for it. So I think, I think there's a lot more momentum across the general public uh, for revoking the statute on, on sexual crimes. Yeah. And, and it's actually fairly complicated as to what the statute of limitation is on sex crimes, um, in California. And I, I hope I don't butcher this. Um, but I think if a person was a child or under 18, a minor at the time the incident occurred, then the statute of limitations is, a maximum of 10 years after the 18th birthday. So um, 28 years or 10 years after disclosure is made. I And I, I can't say whether that's correct or not. There's a case, the United States Supreme Court, US, US versus Stogner, the statute of limitations. I have to look it up every time uh, to see exactly what it is. But there is a recognition in California, certainly, that that sex crimes are crimes which are typically kept secret um, uh, for some period of time. At the same time, I, I do want to acknowledge that sex crimes are also crimes that are easy to concoct and can ruin lives. I had a case uh, about 12 or 13 years ago where a man took in a foster child and she claimed she was raped. And um, all of his kids were removed from his home, including his natural children. Uh, she took off. She ran away. So she was out of the jurisdiction. I couldn't cross-examine her. 
Um, I did put him through a polygraph. Now, polygraphs, of course, are not admissible, formally admissible in court, but I was able to show that to social services, you know, off the record in negotiations. And that coupled with the fact that she wasn't available to testify in person resulted in that case being dismissed. So um, it's, you know, sex crimes are really tricky for that reason. And, you know, that's, it's possible that those inherent proof problems are what have given some of these very powerful men sanctuary for some time. Well, and I think there's a segment, and I, in fact, I know people who would say this, that the one time out of a hundred that there's a false accusation does does not outweigh the other 99 where it really did happen. Except us defense attorneys who would agree with John Adams and saying just the opposite, right? <laughs> Right. But again, I think I think there's this I, I feel that there's a shift in 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 the cultural approach to this stuff. And I think really with the Me Too movement, there has been a shift to we have to believe the woman. I've we've heard that statement. I'm sure you've read that statement before. There are those out there who say we have to believe the woman. And well, I, I but again, you know, to, to go to your opening question, the, those those two things are not in opposite. We can believe a woman and at the same time not have enough evidence to have the consequences that are sought, right? And intuitively, my suspicion is that that's what is going to result from these Kavanaugh proceedings. I think most women out there are going to believe her but, but, because of their experiences. But, but I don't think that there's going to be enough evidence on the books to result in a denial of the nomination. It's not the kind of thing like with, uh, who was it, Zoe Baird or, you know, it's it's not like tax evasion or, or, or nanny gate. It's not the kind of thing where there's a paper trail that can easily be pointed to. So you, you end up with an intuitive belief and yet not enough evidence to rise to a standard warranting the consequences. Right. So what are you saying? We lower that bar of 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 crossing the threshold to where it results in consequences? I don't know. I don't I don't know what the answer to that is. Um I, I just we don't want witch hunts as as a society. Yeah. You know, the the due process and the burden of proof are, are really important American institutions and I think we need to hold on to those with everything that we have, especially in an era that like this that we're and in what, right now. what do you say though to those that say well he's not in court this is not a criminal trial he's up for a judge and the bar the bar here is is a lot lower well is it really though is it is it really lower in in the sense that what we're looking at is an issue of morality and character um so and so that's another that's I, another yeah. good point so if you had asked me before this, and and I don't think I've ever done anything. My memory is very bad, but even still, I, I'm not that guy. I I know, and there I've been in those situations or those beginning of those situations, and I acted very differently than than Brad did. But there's a part of me that says drunken seventeen year olds do really stupid things sometimes and Mm -hmm. sometimes they make mistakes and sometimes that's in character and that's just who they are. Mm -hmm. And I think I, there's what I want to say though, is that 
there are drunken 17 year olds out there who will make criminal level mistakes and Absolutely. but move on from them and that does not reflect who they are even a month later or two years later or 30 years later yes but the difference here is that if this if judge kavanaugh did commit those mistakes then he's had a lifetime of imposing extremely harsh penalties on others who were caught for the same mistakes that's my moral dilemma that's that's the difficulty that i have with this i would much prefer a judge who had been convicted and went through treatment and acknowledged mistakes and understood the consequences and had some respect for the process and rehabilitation than somebody who simply got away with it and then in turn imposed extremely harsh consequences on someone else. Well, and then categorically denied it. In other words, I, I would be much more willing to accept Kavanaugh as, as a candidate ethically had he been convicted and rehabilitated in the formal mm. sense. To me, that's, that's, that's a, a much different situation than someone who got away with it, if in fact he did, and has spent a lifetime leveling very harsh punishments against those who so, did But I think you're more, I think where you differ, I think, than from some of the other people that I talked to is that you're more concerned about sort of the hypocrisy of his position and, and the inequity yeah. for those who come before him. That's right. As a criminal defense right. attorney. Right. right. Whereas I think most of the other women right. I've spoken to are just like, he did a really, really bad thing. This guy's a shit heel and he doesn't deserve to be a chief justice just from a moral. Well, and, and I will tell you my problem with that view is that there are so many more of them out there that we don't know about that. I, I, I sort of can't take that. Um, I, I, I believe that there's a good percentage of the, you know, the people in power in this country who are guilty of these sorts of offenses, so much more so than is reported, so much more so. I mean, I would say, well, put it this way, when Me Too started as a hashtag on social media, I often thought that the woman who had not been through any sort of incident was mm. rare. I think it's much more common that women have been through and have their own stories than than don't. And so, you know, at some point the men have to line up with that, which means that there's a good segment of our population who done that have uh, engaged in behavior that would be considered sexually harassing or sexually violent or sexually predatory mm -hmm. or problematic. Um, so thank you. So, you know, just coming at it from a moral standpoint, saying he shouldn't be on the Supreme Court because he did this, that really bothers me because I believe there are so many more out there who are in positions of power and hold those positions of power. And we don't know necessarily who they are. So what we're left to rely on is the processes, the due processes by which we're able to conclude whether someone engaged in this behavior yeah. or not. The system, the constitutional guarantees that we have become more of an issue. And uh, to that point, again, I think uh, Monday is going to be a circus 
with uh, the Senate investigation, so-called investigation, I think, really, this is something that, that calls for its own sort of independent counsel. Mm. This is not something that, that in a public hearing, you're going to arrive at a truth. I think this is something where, um, and, and you know, it could be that an independent counsel is unable to reach a conclusion, but I think that would be a greater nod towards the investigatory process and due process that we really cherish. Right. Okay. Well, it's tough. It's tough stuff. And, and I get it. And I think, I think through the conversations I've been having, I, I get it more. It's, it's not, um, you know, empathy. I don't, I don't know how naturally empathy, um, comes to, to, to anyone. And, and certainly, uh, there are some that it, it skips altogether, uh, like our president, <laughs> but the, <laughs> to, to end this on a bit of a bitter note, hopefully, God, please answer this the way I want you to answer it. Um, do you do you see things getting better? Do you have you have a daughter or daughters plural? Uh, do you do you envision a better environment for them than you yourself had? For one reason, I do. I do for one reason, and that is because I will teach her what appropriate boundaries are. I will teach her that she, it's not her obligation to make men comfortable, so that if they something say something inappropriate or attempt something inappropriate, she doesn't have to simply laugh and go along with it because the alternative is a very awkward moment. Um, I, I will teach her. I will teach my son these things from a young age. Do I think men are substantially different now than they are when I was younger? Absolutely not. And I don't think that we can rely on simple knowledge, uh, you know, women coming forward with their experiences um, to change male behavior. I don't think we can rely on that. I I think that's too passive. Um, I think we have to teach our sons and daughters to be on the lookout and defend themselves um, from the outset. You know, there's a there's a scene that I always remember in uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Did you ever see that? Uh, both the actually, book? and I I think I saw both English yeah. and Scandinavian, Scandinavian. The subtitle. Yeah, yeah. So the 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 uh, reporter runs. No, it's the girl, isn't it? The girl runs from the house of the killer at some point, and he says to her. You had every chance to be free. Was it the killer or the reporter? I can't remember which one it was. But he says, the, the killer says, you had every chance to be free. You could have run. You knew I did it. You knew I was the murderer here. And yet you stopped because of social requirements, because you feared the awkwardness that would result from saying no to me or standing up to me or confronting mm-hmm. me. So that power of needing to remain civil and polite um, is, is huge, is huge. And our greatest tool, our greatest weapon as, as mothers and as concerned citizens for, the, for our young is to teach them that they don't have to keep the peace. They, don't, they can speak out at any time 
they don't have to remain quiet. They don't have to protect others. They can say no. They should say no. They can run. They can walk away. They can tell immediately. That's that's where our real but power the lies. Issue, the issue that I have with that is that you're putting the onus, and I'm not saying you personally, but in general, now your your onus is on the girl in that situation. And, and if we can teach them to not fear that awkwardness, right? If then I don't understand why we can't teach the boys don't create the awkwardness there. I think it, I think it has to be, I don't think boys get it unless you think that the boy's behavior is just sort of biologically embedded. We can and should teach our young men uh, to be gentlemen, of course, absolutely. But we can't rely on that as parents. We can't rely on it to protect our children. Mm. Well, that... I mean, it's not much different in the sense that, that you know, we, we teach people to speak up a, a, about identity fraud or financial crimes. You know, call the police. Don't remain silent about it. Um, domestic violence has come a long way in that sense. Um, as a society, we've done so much to get rid of the shame and coming forward with domestic violence. In fact, um, incidents of domestic abuse are almost, well, often weaponized, if you will. Somebody loses it in an argument and, and, and has any physical contact with the other person whatsoever, that's enough to qualify as spousal battery in California. That then, if there's a custody or divorce in the future, gives the other party a significant advantage. So that shame and awkwardness as a society, um, we have completely transformed um, so that, you know, victims are willing to say, no, you don't do that to me. I don't take this from you. And in fact, if you do, you know, if you if you do touch me in an inappropriate way, that that really changes the playing field here. That's the sort of thing that women need to embrace with response to sexual misconduct. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. Stacy, we are out of time. Mm-hmm. And and honestly, I need to go well, have a drink. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty. <laughs> it's five o'clock right? uh, Yeah, it's five o'clock in my kitchen. Uh, Stacy, thanks, thanks so much, and uh, hopefully you'll next time I'm in jail, you'll return my calls. Uh, of course. All right, thanks, Stacy. I appreciate Take it. Okay. We're now at my favorite part of the podcast, which is Shauna doing her absolute best effort to try and broaden my horizons. Now, in the past, we've focused pretty much on food, but the reality is, I'm a little stuck in my ways. Uh, and as much as I'm trying, you know, I think, I think there's other areas that I can, I can be exposed to that can sort of increase my cultural levels. It says, let's be honest to me, culture is something I find in yogurt. So let's <laughs> with that, Shauna, hello. How are you? Good. And I've been told to sort of introduce my guests a little bit more. So Shauna is, uh, a foodie. Um, there's gotta be some fancy French word for foodie. Les Foudets. Uh, <laughs> That's totally should... made up. Don't, don't burst my bubble. Shada is un Les Foudets. Uh, and, uh, but she's also, she's uh, a designer. Um, she owns her own business. Uh, and she's pretty heavily cultured. So, like, she's the, what's the super well, expensive? Well, I try, Greek? anyway. 
What's what's the super expensive Greek yogurt that's out there? She's like a ten dollar um, bucket of yogurt. Are you in, insulting me? No, no I'm no. a twenty dollar bucket of yogurt. Do they sell it in buckets? I would assume it's sort of glop. You just sort of thread. Anyway, so Shauna's cultured, um, and compared to me, she's even more cultured. So, uh, who better to instruct me in the ways of the cultured world where people use utensils than Shauna? So, Shauna, I'm a little bit breathless with anticipation. Um, what 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 is in store for me today? So we will try and uh, do a little utensil using today. Uh, we're gonna. Can we can we can we talk a little bit about the genius of, that is the spork? Oh God! Because sometimes you just don't know. It's a it's a tweener situation. There's a lot of foods I think that fall in that tweener situation, and the spork, like you're down to two utensils, your knife and your spork. So I think there's an ecological argument to be anyway. Let's not. Unless one uses like washable, you know, utensils that See, are not thrown away. That's not. Then that might even be better ecologically. Never crossed my mind. <laughs> Burning all that water. <laughs> no. Anyway, sorry. Okay, spork aside. We love the spork. Everybody loves the spork. It's not controversial. We're here to talk about hard-hitting, controversial subjects. What have you got? So... What I'm going to talk about today is um, we want to ease you into some of these things. You know, mm. we're not going to expect you to go off and, like the other week, you know, eat balloon, even though I never suggested that. Mm. Um, so my thought is there's a really amazing uh, place up in L.A. called Italy. It's, it's a place to go eat, but it's also an experience, which I think is a lot of fun. It's basically... Um, a food hall slash grocery store slash like three four different restaurants slash coffee shop slash bakery all of these things all combined into one three level four level experience and all i'm seeing in my mind is like a multi-tier cake full of hippies folk singers and moms moms who haven't vaccinated their children Nope, that's, definitely not. That's all it's good. like taking a vacation to Italy without hopping on. Oh, a plane. hence the Italy. Mm, yeah. I just thought they weren't very creative. <laughs> so basically, it is everything Italy. Their their mission nice. statement is to bring all wonderful things Italy to the world. So they opened in um, LA in 2017. They're in the Westfield Century City Mall. Um, and they have this amazing, beautiful restaurant um, on the third floor that has a bar and a rooftop lounge. Um, everything's made over an open flame. They also have uh, pizza. pizza and pasta, which, you know, I know you are never going to turn down pizza or pasta. What else is more accessible than that? Nothing. It's the food of the people, Shauna. It's the food Plus, of the people. there's seafood. There's, mm. um, they make their own mozzarella daily they mm. make their own um dough and their own bread they make their own salamis mm. they import I love cheeses salami. all over uh, from italy that you can't get anywhere else they have thing they have wine they have liquor they have household goods they have candy chocolate 
basically anything Italy that's what is amazing about Italy, they have brought to L.A. Mm, and so it's like a... What about Monica Bellucci? Sorry. No. Unless they got her in a closet. <laughs> it's going to be a hard pass. No, it sounds it sounds great, actually. It's the first they time have... you've recommended something I'm actually interested in. Yeah, we have because a, it's we have pizza a break and for... pasta, you know? Sure. <laughs> but so no, I love Italy. Pasta, they have classes, they have events. It's pretty amazing. So it's it's the perfect kind classes of entree on, into... Classes um, on like how to cook or how to speak Italian or how to drive. <laughs> no, it's to cook. But okay. they will teach you how to make pasta and make dishes. And they have uh, cooking classes. They have some great chefs that come in and do this. It, it's a pretty fabulous place. It's a great place to go and spend a few hours and then have a nice meal and enjoy the day. And it doesn't have like a bohemian... I'm not going to get liberaled out there no no more than you would in la anywhere mm, yeah so i mean so it's kind of high-end-ish but other than that yeah so what's a meal gonna run me there it depends they have like coffee shops with pastries they have some of the best tiramisu you'll get in la um that obviously is not going to be expensive they have isn't like, that fantastic a, coffee isn't that a japanese dish tiramisu <laughs> crickets <laughs> sorry so so at they, the high end right so they got they got starbucks what, what do they have on the high end no they do not have a starbucks but they do have the high-end restaurant on the roof deck so it's called Terra, and that um you know there they have like the big meat dishes and things that are more expensive but they also have the pizza um on the second level and the pasta um mm. which is much more accessible and they have uh, cheese plates and salami plates so it there is something for every price point there nice so on the olive garden scale a little above That's... olive garden a little below macaroni grill where you are know, we I'm not that familiar with Olive Garden, so I couldn't use that as a scale. I apologize. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a little worried about your cultural bona fides if you're not uh, down with the Olive Garden. But maybe maybe I can expand your horizons. Maybe maybe that's an option here. Maybe the Any teacher can become the, the, wait, the student. Yeah. And anything that involves all you can eat, anything, I'm yeah. out. <laughs> Well, let me just get my potential future mates list out. <laughs> there we go. Okay, good. That's taken care of. Um, sweet. All right. Well, thanks. So sorry. Where was it? Italy. It's at, uh, It's in uh, Century City up in L.A. Okay. So West Side-ish. Uh-huh. Yep. It's actually attached to the Westfield Mall in the Center City Mall. So. Okay. And open all day breakfast? Yep. Seven days a week. Um, nice. They're open all day and they have, uh, what do you call it, plenty of parking. So it's super easy to do. And reservations needed for Terra? Uh, yes. For Terra, I would definitely recommend reservations. Unless you're just having a drink on the roof deck, that's yeah. open seating. So no big deal. And did they name the coffee shop in the basement Firma? No. Hmm. It's... These guys are not so great with their branding. All right, Shauna. I like it. It's a definite improvement. Uh, hopefully, we'll hear all about your experiences next time. I'll take photos. <laughs>
Thanks, Shana. You have a good week. Yeah. Bye-bye.